Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. Well, if you have your Bible with you, your iPhone, your iPad, uh, let's, get, let's get ready to get into the Word. I want to say, first of all, thank you for the birthday cards and the gifts, even all the cat cards I got. It's amazing. Celebrate Recovery starts tomorrow night at 6.15. If you have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, be here. It's going to be great. And then, of course, next Sunday, my pastor, Rick Godwin, will be here. I was ordained with uh, his church 30 years ago. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Rick. And uh, I'd like to guilt you, persuade you, uh, encourage you to be here next week to honor him, to honor him. Bring somebody with you. I promise you won't be disappointed. He, uh, instead of Rick, he um, comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable. So get ready. If you have your Bible, let's hold it up. Let's say it together. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It is life to me. Today I receive the Word. I confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I am obedient. I will never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're finishing out today this series, Rated R for Relationships, and uh, I find it interesting that uh, when, before we were married, how that opposites attract. And then after we've been married for a while, it's how opposites attack, right? <laughs> the various things that you loved about someone, now it's the things that gets on your nerves. Someone said before we came in, said, yeah, you know, when we first, when we first were dating, I thought it was so cute that, that my wife could finish my sentences or my girlfriend could finish my sentences before I did. And he said, now it annoys me. I can't even finish a story until she jumps in. I was with somebody the other day, and they said their wife finished the story. And he said, that's all right. I think you can do it better than me anyway. Go ahead. I didn't want to finish it. But isn't it interesting how we, how we look at those things, those things that attracted us, then if we're not careful, we begin to attack in those areas. Um, the number one word that you hear a lot coming up in divorce is the word uh, contempt, contempt. And, and contempt just simply means uh, you, we discount somebody's viewpoint. Uh, we, we sort of think, well, my, I'm right and you're wrong. You never see it right. I mean, you remember like maybe sometime you've watched a news broadcaster or something or somebody on TV and they talk down to you like, you know, you, you don't have any sense or, or you're a loser. You don't watch that very long. You, you change that. That's contempt. And in marriage, especially people that get divorced, they say one of the things that really is that I felt such a contempt, maybe for one or both, because my ideas and what I thought was never important. It was always discounted. So today I want to talk about relationship resolution. And uh, I want to talk about how to, uh, how to have a disagreement without arguing. Would that be great? With, without throwing things, without uh, stomping out of the room, Without leaving, get in the car and spinning out, you know, and going, yeah, a disagreement without arguing. 
Let me just encourage you a couple of things. Number one, acknowledge uniqueness. Acknowledge uniqueness. Acknowledge uniqueness. Psalm 139 and then Ephesians 2 and 10. Uh, Psalm 139 says, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. And then Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are God's, what? Masterpiece. Look at your neighbor and just pridefully say, Hey, you're looking at a masterpiece. <laughs> I are a masterpiece. Just want you to know that. I didn't say a mattress piece. I said a masterpiece, okay? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There, there are paintings that are called masterpieces. I've been into a, a lot of museum, art museums around the world, and uh, I was in Paris, France, and uh, I was at the Louvre, and there in the Louvre is the picture of Mona Lisa. Remember the picture of Mona Lisa? And they say, the painter just thought she was so beautiful and so lovely. And I'm thinking, dude, you need glasses. <laughs> I mean, all I can say is, she's unique. All right. And uh, I, I was Googling the other day at the top 20 uh, paintings that have brought the most money. And number 20, let me show it to you. Here it is, number 20. It's by Rothko, and it's called, it's called Royal Red and Blue. And it sold for $75.1 million. Tim, I think you and I could do that. Don't you think? I mean, I, I, I think, I, I think we, we could do that. Maybe we need to do that. But it's considered a, a masterpiece. And here's what God says. You are a masterpiece. But that also means that your spouse is a masterpiece. And you and your spouse probably view things a little different. You uh, have different backgrounds. You have different gifts. And so many times when we disagree, we're trying to beat the uniqueness out of our spouse because we want them to see everything like us. But they're supposed to see things different than you. Uh, people say, well, I just, I just can't get along with them because they don't see things my way. Hello? That should tell you something right there. Why are we saying I'm a masterpiece, but yet my spouse is not a masterpiece? Different, unique, but still a masterpiece. Someone, I, I want you to know this, that having conflicts doesn't mean that you married the wrong person. Having a conflict in your marriage doesn't mean you married the wrong person. It just conflicts affirm that you are unique in your relationship. People say, well, you know, I'm just going to get a divorce because, uh, you know, they don't understand me. They don't love me. And we're always arguing, just always arguing. The real issue, let's get honest, the real issue is you haven't learned to get along with somebody different than you. You value your opinion and your thoughts above everybody else, and because of that, then you're... And so people say, well, I'm just going to get divorced, and, and I'm going I'm I'm to find somebody that, that, you know, I have more relationship with. 
So you drag your sorry old um, tush into another relationship, and when you get there, out of a little while, then you find the same thing. Whoa, look, at, they, they don't understand me. They, we argue all the time. When all the time, maybe it's a, you need to reflect into you. Ha, ha, are you not recognizing the uniqueness of your spouse? You know, they, when you first got married, before you got married, you know the things that really attract you. You say, oh, they're just so unique. And now it's, they are unique. Yeah. Before you got married, it's like, oh, he just talks to everybody. He never meets a stranger. And now after you're sitting in the car waiting for like 30 minutes, you say to somebody, he never meets a stranger. He's always talking to everybody, right? I mean, it's just those, those things that were there. But the issues come up. How are we going to raise kids? How are we going to spend money? Want to buy a car? Your spouse says we don't have money. So then what are you going to do? You're going to buy a used car? You're going to lease? You like alone time, and they like people around you all the time, all the time. What attracted you now drives you crazy. But we need to start saying, Lord, help me to see through those eyes of attraction. Help me to see through those eyes of attraction. If your spouse is here, would you sort of look over at them right now? And I just pray that the Lord opens your eyes and uh, that he lets you see with eyes of attraction not lie, eyes of attacking. Here's number two. Take time to listen first. Take time to do what? Listen first. We all have conflicts, and when those conflicts arise, uh, most of the time what we say is, we just got to talk. Oh, this is a crisis. Huh? We just got to talk. Could I say to you maybe time out? Maybe you don't need to talk right now. I'm not saying don't ever talk. But I'm saying right now, maybe what you need more than talking is that you need to listen. Pastor Tim shared a great book with me. He's a great counselor, he and his wife. And the book is, Why Don't We Listen Better? You might want to take a picture so you can get this. It says, Why Don't We Listen Better? Communicating and uh, Connecting in Relationships by James C. Peterson. And it's a little, uh, kind of like a little devotional book. You and your spouse can read it. It takes just a few, uh, a few minutes to read it, and then you talk about it, and then you got this little card that you can set up, you know, because some of us are a little uh, hard-headed. We don't know if we're talking or listening. So you set up this side, and it says to you, as you look at it, you're a listener right now. And then there'll be a time that you're the talker. I mean, this is built in right now. It's, it's, it's argument proof. So you say... Pastor Tim and Pastor Terry recommended that we read this book together. Now look, right now you're the listener. <laughs> Talking is what got you frustrated. Here's what the book of James says, James 1 and 19. Read it with me. Dear brothers, don't ever forget that it is best to listen much, speak little, and not to become angry, for anger doesn't make us good. We need to get in front of our arguments before they happen. If you look, look around today, and you'll see most everybody here today has one mouth but two ears. I mean, even God says, how about listening 
more than you talk. But we get in disagreements and they turn into arguments because it's the words back and forth. And we're just waiting. I hope they'll stop soon, take a breath, because I can jump in right here and I've got a few things to straighten out. So it's just ba 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 and it and it, it never ends. So let me give you some ABCs about listening. A, ask your spouse if you can listen to them first. Ask your spouse if you can listen to them first. In other words, don't ambush them. Here's what happens a lot of times. You know, maybe as a husband, you're sitting in the, in the easy chair and you're watching TV and, and maybe your, your, your wife has, you know, she's been, been fuming for two hours about whatever argument is up and man, she's pacing and she finally comes in and says, would you turn that thing off? We need to talk. Now, you just, you just ambushed him. You've thought about what you're going to talk about for two hours, but he's watching live with John Wayne or what? So, so you just inter- so instead of that saying, "Hey, um, could, could could I just listen to you? Could I just spend some time listening to you first? But now, if you're not ready to talk about this issue, we'll come back later. But I want to listen to you first. It's not I want to listen to you and then I want to set you straight. I want to listen to you. Some of you are macho, macho, macho men. And you say, I don't need this. I just need to set the, the lady straight. Yeah. And how much longer are you going to live in crisis mode? How many more marriages are you going to have because you married the wrong person? So spend some time listening. Be Hear them out. When they, when they start talking about a situation, hear them out. You, you're, this is not your time to dialogue. You're listening. You're listening. And you say something like this, is there anything else you want to say? And don't say it like that. Is there anything else you want to say? I mean, that says a lot right there. No, is there anything else you want to say? And don't take notes like a lawyer so that you can rebuttal everything. Just simply say, you know what? I, uh, so I understand, listening to you, that you feel devalued when I don't help you with the kids or, or when I say words that put you down. Is, is that right? Is that, is that what you're saying? And you stop. You don't defend yourself. You're listening. ABC is you withhold your opinion. Withhold your opinion. I know that's hard for some of you. Withhold your opinion. D. Understand their perspective. Understand their perspective. I mean, you don't have to agree with it. Just, I, I understand. I, I understand. You're not arguing. You're just simply saying, I understand, or I'm, I'm trying to understand. All right? And then E, respect their perspective. Respect their perspective. This shows that you value their opinion. And I just, I want you to, I want to thank you for sharing your perspective and, and I really value that. Listen to me. Read my lips. If you don't, if you don't take time to listen, the enemy will send a surrogate into that relationship and they will listen. Well, I don't know, Pastor. It just it, I didn't have in mind of getting into an affair or cheating on my wife. But I just started talking to somebody at work or somebody at school or, or somebody across the street or somebody at church. 
And I just mentioned that, you know, man, having a tough time in, in my marriage. And, and they said, oh, you are? Oh, you're such a sweet man. How could your, how could your wife not love you? Well, what, what happened went on? And so he said, oh, I would never do that. I, I, I would just never do that. And, and so it's not that they felt understood, but it's they felt that somebody gave them a chance to share what they were feeling. Have you ever wondered how, an, how, how, a, how a person that has a, like a beautiful wife, a tin, you know, and they, and they have an affair with somebody at work, and they marry a skank? I mean, does that never bother anybody else beside me? I'm thinking, how could you walk out on that babe? And look what you married, a haggletooth skank. You've seen it. Why are you laughing? You've seen that thing happen. And it's happened to some of you, but not the person you're living with now. <laughs> Nobody in here is a skank. Okay. Everybody's a masterpiece. That's what I'm saying right now. But I, I look at that and I say, God, how, how, could that, how could that be? Don't be sharing about your husband or your wife to somebody of the opposite sex. And listen, ladies, don't go running, or men, sorry, I was having gender trouble there, run to your mother and always tell her about the argument that you just had. You guys may make up, but you don't go back and call your mother and say, oh, mom, just wanted you to know he made everything right. No, she still thinks he's a loser. And then she knows that four times a year you have a big blow up and wonder why in the world would you stick with this loser? I can't believe that. And listen, never complain about your spouse to your kids. Do you hear me? Never complain about your spouse to your kids. And never let them complain about your spouse. If, if one of my kids had, had said, you know, as they were growing up and saying something uh, about Anita, I would say, don't talk about my wife that way. Notice what I didn't say? I didn't say don't talk about your mother that way. Don't talk about my wife. What I'm simply saying is that she's my wife. She's my wife. One of these days you won't be here anymore and you'll be gone, but she's my wife and I want you to know I love her more than I love you. And you see, that brings safety to your kids because some of you, because you've been, you, you, you've been rejected, you gather your kids around and you begin speaking into them. I've seen this firsthand, trust me. You begin telling them about how bad the church is, how bad uh, the, you, that your husband, your, your husband is in the midst of all of that, and they begin to alienate from their father. And listen, never use social media when you're needy. The cell phone is the wild, wild west today. Nobody teaches us how to use a cell phone. But when you get needy, sexually or something else, then you ever wonder how a, an executive that runs a multi-million dollar company could pull out his cell phone, unzip his britches, take a picture of his manhood and send that to somebody and then later it gets on the internet, destroys him, destroys his marriage and destroys the company that he has. Hello, 
Where, where do we lose it? Because we, in a time of being needy, we go to social media and we say things and post things that we'll have to regret later, and it's not the same. So get it away. Put it away. Get your head out of the phone. Quit reading people's Facebook posts of the false life. Oh, look, they're just so sweet. They just love each other. She does this and she does that. You know what? She, the other lady is probably posting something that she wished it happened, and it didn't really happen. So why are you looking? Do anybody ever put reality on Facebook? Do you ever say, my husband was a crank today? <laughs> now, well, some of you do. Sorry, I shouldn't have gone there. I mean, ladies, most of the time, every once in a while, you see a lady that's bold enough to say, this is me without makeup. We get ready to take a picture, and Nita says, let me put on my lipstick. Is my, is my rouge look all right there? Let me look at my hair. Now, let me, let me proof that picture before it goes out. <laughs> Give me a break. All right, you're beautiful. I don't know how you could be any more beautiful. You're just so lovely. I love you so much. <laughs> I had to get out of that one quick. I'm going home with her. <laughs> and she punches good on the punching bag in the gym. And I don't ever want to feel those fists. <laughs> Husband, wife in bed. She's on Facebook. He's on Twitter. I could think of some other things to do while you're in bed. <laughs> what, what, kind of, what kind of society have we come to in the midst of this? Let me say this. Let me introduce a concept called text looping. Text looping. That if on your job, Tim and I talked about this today, we're going to make this a, a policy here at the church, that when you send a text or an email to someone of the opposite sex, even though you're working with them, you need to add into that loop a third person, probably your spouse. So when I send a text to Maggie, when I send a text to one of our staff, when I send that, I'm going to put Anita in that and loop her into that. I don't want her wondering, why do I send so many texts? What am I saying in those texts? What are they happening? You see, there's too many people that have started out with just friendly text, and then about four texts into that, they find themselves sharing things that they said. Listen, I'm trying to tell you something that's going to save you heartbreak, that's going to save your reputation, that's going to help you to be a person that God can use in a greater way, okay? Is that all right? Okay. Do you understand that? Text looping, you understand it? And also, your spouse should know all your passcodes on your phone. If you've got a secret passcode, you're up to shenanigans. Don't give me all that ballistic systems, all right? It's a word for something else shorter. Some of you get it soon. Somebody said, you've turned 70, and we don't know what's coming out of your mouth. In the last service, Maggie was praying, Lord, help him finish, please. Not because it's bad, but because we're afraid what else is going to come out. You've been praying for me. You've been praying I get free, so it's, it's your blame. It, it's, all, it's all up to you. Your, uh, your spouse should know every app you have on your phone. Do they? Some of you are slouching down in your seat a little bit. Say, well, I don't think, I don't think she needs to do that. Sean brought up something really good, and it's called uh, Find Friends. 
And it's a GPS thing. I, I, Anita has this on me. It follows me wherever I go. So if she wants to find out where I am, she just goes in that, find a friend. Oh, he's at the Donut King. <laughs> she doesn't have to worry about me going to the pole dancer. She said, oh, he's the Donut King, okay. <laughs> where have you been, Terry? Oh, just out. Where have you been specifically? And then it dawns on me, oh, shoot. She's got to find a friend. She knows where I am. Well, I, I brought you a donut. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Why wouldn't you want your spouse to know where you are 24 hours a day? Unless you are up to shenanigans. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Learn to listen. Sometimes they don't want you to fix everything. You know, Anita will start telling me something, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fixer when it comes to that. I'm good at telling people what to do. I may not do it, but I'm good at telling people what to do. And I say, well, do this. She said, no, I want you to get mad with me about this. I want you to feel my anger and get angry with me about this. Number three, learn to compromise. Now that you both listen to each other, it's time to work together as friends. You say, friends, I thought we were married. No, friends, because sometimes you treat your friends better than you treat your spouse. I I'm guilty of this at times. Anita and I will get into a nice disagreement, and uh, I won't listen real well. And she'll say, you would not treat your friends just the way you treated me. And if I'm in a good mood, I'll say, oh, you're right. But most of the time, I'll defend myself. Sure, I would. I'd talk to Tim just like I'm, I'm, I'm. And liars will be friars, right? Listen, guys, if I'm this honest and open with you, you got a choice next week whether or not to come back. Or you can find somebody that just tells you they got it all together. I don't have it all together. How many of you here sitting here this morning, the Lord has brought up something already that you realize you don't have it all together either? Would you raise your hand? This church is full of losers. <laughs> Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you probably won't come back next week. You need to find a perfect church because we're just a bunch of struggling losers around here that are not giving up, but we're going to work on our marriage. We're going to work on our relationships to be more like him. <laughs> Help me, Lord. There's three possibilities for us to learn to compromise. Compromise is not always bad. First of all, we can meet in the middle. We can just say, well, let's just, let's just agree here. Let's compromise, and, and we'll, we'll just sort of meet in the middle about this. Or we can say, you know what? This is really a non-essential. I'm not going to over-argue about this. I, I'll, just, I'll just agree with you. I'll, I'll come over to your side. Or you simply say, you know what? We need to meet later on this and talk about it. I just, I, I'm, I'm not sure. The problem is some of you table things for years and you never deal with them. Sometimes we just need a third party. But we have to, number four, learn to use the right apology language. Dr. Gary Chapman uh, wrote a book called The Five uh, uh, Love Languages, and he also wrote a book on the five apology languages because he said each of us have an apology language. And sometimes we say to our spouse, I'm sorry, forgive me, but the way that we said it was not the way that they want to hear it. And we think just because that we said it like that, 
it's all right for them. So in this book, Five Apology Languages, and you can go on the internet and take a test and find out where you are, let me share these real briefly with you real quickly, and you might see yourself. First of all, there's a love language, apology language of expressing regret. This type of person, you just have to say to them, you know what, I'm sorry, I regret that I raised my voice. I'm sorry, I regret that I didn't listen to you. I'm sorry. And, th and that's enough. It, it's not like, I'm sorry if I offended you. Oh, come on. That's no, that's no uh, uh, thing. You're just, def you're just defending yourself. No, to me, that's, that's a, this is me. If you say to me, Terry, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that. You don't have to go into a long dissertation. That's enough for me. How many of you would say, yeah, that's my, that's my apology language. Just say I'm, so there's like, yes, usually that's like really a small amount. The second one is accepting responsibility. These people, they don't want you to just say, I'm sorry, but they want you to own it, not blame somebody else, not say, I'm sorry, it's that time of month, I'm sorry, it's the boss, he's been really rough, I'm sorry, it's because you press my button. No, I'm sorry that I overreacted. I'm not going to blame you or anybody else. But I am going to accept responsibility for that. How many of you would say, that's my apology language? I see you over. I see that hand. I, I see it waving in the air. That's, that's Anita's. She, it's not enough for me to just say, I'm sorry. She'll say, you're sorry because. <laughs> and she wants me to just lay it all out. So if that's her apology language, why would I simply say, hey, I told you I'm sorry. Then we get in another argument. That's her, that's her apology language. Number three is making restitution. Number three is making restitution. I messed up, but I want to make it up to you. I'm sorry, honey. I blew it. I recognize that I'm an idiot, and I shouldn't have said that. How can I make this up to you? What can I do to make this up to you? How many of you would say that's your apology language, making restitution? You want somebody to make restitution. Okay, several hands there. Here's the next one, genuinely repenting. Sorry, I blew it, and here's my plan so that I never do that again. It's not enough just to say, forgive me, but what's your plan so that you will never do that again? And the last one is asking, actually asking for forgiveness. Some people say, uh, I'm sorry, but they never ask for forgiveness. David said, you're the one I violated, and you've, never, and you've seen it all. Seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. Asking forgiveness is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And so the answer is, we need to say what? I forgive you, right? We're going we're gonna to end this real quick, but I want to just take just a few minutes, and I want to talk about this divorce issue. Divorce is running rampant throughout the world, and even in the church, church in the last few years. Because people just take lightly of getting a divorce. Scripture says God hates divorce, but he loves the divorcee. He loves you, all right? And I, I want to say as I start off in this, I didn't do it like that in the first service. I want to say in this that if you've had a divorce, maybe it's before you were ever a believer, or maybe before you really understood what the Scripture says, and and you're already divorced, 
then, then I want you to know that, that you need to pray about it, ask God to forgive you, move on. But what I'm saying is, if the, if the water gets tough, the tendency is, if the water gets tough and you've been divorced once, it's going to be easy for you to jump into divorce number two. And then if it gets tough again, it's easier for you to jump again into another, uh, into another divorce. And listen, when you're going through marriage crisis, when you go to a marriage counselor, go to someone who values marriage and not one that's been divorced three to five times. Give me a break. I see some of these people say, I'm the greatest marriage counselor, and they've been married five freaking times. I'm sorry. I can't say it any other way, all right? Excuse me. That's in the Greek sense. Okay. The Scripture never recommends divorce. It allows divorce in one case. It doesn't recommend it. One is explicit, and he says, for this reason, for divorce, and that is adultery. It doesn't say that if, you're, if your spouse committed adultery on you, you need to divorce them. It just simply says, if you don't see that that's ever going to improve, you can, you, can, you can do that. It doesn't encourage divorce. The majority of the time, check me on this, Pastor Tim, the majority of the time, especially with a man, if he commits adultery, the majority and the statistics are that he won't do it again because of the shame and the heartbreak. So just because your spouse committed adultery, and, and, and it has a lot to do with their apology. Did they really mean it? There's a difference in godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is I'm wrong in God's eyes and I've wronged you worldly is, sorry, I got caught. If somebody hadn't ratted on me, I wouldn't be in this situation right now. The second thing is implied, and that's abuse. Physical or, many people say, emotional abuse. Scripture never says that that's an out, never recommends that. But again, it's implied. Theologians will say that, these last, these two that I'm going to talk about are implied. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're being battered by your husband or by your wife, that you remain in that relationship. Nobody should do that. You need to say to them, if you continue this, I want you to know this is over. God never intended to me, for me to be battered and bruised. And if you lay a hand on me or the kids one more time, I'm out of here and this is over, and there'll never be a chance for that again. But now, I don't want you to go home into a situation in which every day you wake up, and the, the constant thing is that they're beating you. That's not the way that you want to live. But also, let me say something about this emotional abuse thing. I think people throw those words around real loosely. It's like uh, unreconcilable differences, right? What does that mean? It just means that you can't get along. You don't have respect for somebody else. I think sometimes we say, he hurt my feelings. That's emotional abuse. No, it's not. There's a big difference in emotional abuse and your feelings being hurt. So don't just think I'm going to run out of here because my feelings are hurt, because he doesn't respect me or she doesn't respect me. I'm going to get a divorce. And then the other one is abandonment. They split on you. Now listen, if they split on you, 
and they uh, abandon you and your kids to their drug of choice, and their drug dealer has a key to your house and comes into your house and opens up and says, your husband told me to take whatever I want here so that it can fund his drugs. I'm telling you, you get out of that situation now. That doesn't mean that you have a divorce, but you get out of that situation. Listen, did I recommend that anybody get a divorce today? Please don't misquote me. But I have to take a risk as a pastor. It's my job to help you to understand the Word of God. God wants us to do everything we can to help somebody. Now, I know some of you who know my story saying, yes, but pastor, you've had a divorce. You're very right. It's one of the most terrible things that you could ever go through in your life. After being married for almost 15 years, my ex-wife decided that she didn't love me anymore. She actually got into a conversation with somebody of the opposite sex about how bad her life was, and he had a bad marriage, and they started talking, and then, of course, talking then leads to, to something else, all right, and, and, and all of that. So she came to me. She left, took the kids with her, and so I said, hey, I, you know, I, I don't believe in divorce. Let's, let's work this thing out, and so she began to tell me all the things that I've ever done wrong, and so for the next nine months, I did everything I could to putting that marriage back together. She was uh, in a, at a different state, took the kids with her, and I would go, and everything she said that, that I did wrong, I would do everything I could to make restitution, to make that right, because I believe God hates divorce, and I didn't want to have a divorce. I, uh, I can't answer for her today. All I can say is, I know my wrong in those early years. I was very selfish. I was very opinionated, and I was <clears throat> somewhat controlling in my relationships. I can't answer for her into how she got involved with, with another man. But I am going to say this. God has reconciled all of that. Years ago, she called me with Anita in the car with me, and she said, Terry, I just want to say to you, I'm so sorry that I did what I did to you. It was the worst mistake I've ever done in my life. Could you please forgive me for, for what I did? I said, of course I can. And she's working now, or she's part of a worship team at another church. She's worked through two more marriages. She's had a long pilgrimage. She's a good friend of my wife. She's invited to our house anytime she wants. And so I'm just saying it doesn't happen to everybody like that, but I'm just thankful to God that it worked. Now, after nine months, she called me one day, and she said, I, I, I don't love you. I never married you, I, and, uh, but the girls are miserable, and I can't find a job. So I'll come home but I want you to know I don't love you. I said, that's all right. I've got enough love for both of us. You see, I just, I just really believe that God could, could restore something that was even that far gone. She came back, and uh, I sent her through nursing school. I, I took a pastor of a small church. I lived five years uh, with no love. I know what it's like to hug a telephone pole because a telephone pole won't move. I know what it's like to start to kiss somebody and they turn their cheek and walk away. Had sex, but no love. Five years. Rick Godwin came into my life about that time and he said to me, Terry, you're going to love Rick next week. He said, Terry, you're a wimp. You don't even know who you are anymore. You are walking on eggshells waiting for her to leave again. And he said, I'm just going to tell you, she is going to leave again. She's full of lust. I said, oh, no, Rick, I've been praying, and I believe God. He said, I'm, I hope it works that way, but she's going to come down on you like a jumbo 747. She's going to leave again. 
you need to understand who you are in Christ because right now you're a wimp you're not a man you're a wimp oh but Rick I'm gonna do whatever I can to restore this marriage he said I hope you're right it wasn't long after that till I uh, I had a trip somewhere and I came back and she moved out took the girls took all the furniture we had a five-bedroom house took all the furniture except an ugly ugly plaid sofa <laughs> it's god awful ugly I wish she'd taken that and a, and a TV I walked in the room and God is my witness you see this is why you need to surround yourself with people who love you I walked in the in the house and at that moment Rick Godwin called me hey Terry how you doing man just want to check on you praying for you I said Rick I've just walked into an empty five-bedroom house there's nothing left he didn't say I told you she's gonna do that here's what he said ah it's just stuff it's just stuff it's just stuff God is able to restore everything the enemy has tried to take from you and more and is, is that awesome wasn't long after that um, uh, several years that God brought this lovely lady in the front row into my life she, she had never been married she loves my girls as though they're her own Kelly was here in the last service and she was a mother to them a spiritual mother to them I just know that sometimes we're in a situation in which the there's nothing you can't Rick told me you can't make somebody do right now her pilgrimage was a little longer through two more marriages through lots of other stuff and and now it looks like like she's on the right track and and I just applaud her and I think I thank God for that right before she left the second time while I was in graduate school I did a book study the book of Hosea somebody asked me said how could you still love somebody that you know that cheated on you how could you still love somebody I said because look what God has done for me and how could I not do the same because he values marriage so much when she left the second time after the five years I heard the Lord just as clear as anything say you're free Terry you did everything you could do because you see ingrained in me was I could never marry, remarry again because of my religious background I could never do that and when the Lord said to me you're free you're free the Lord has a sense of humor and he said I'm, I'm not I'm not joshing you get to heaven you ask him about this because I mean I was really just I was really at my at, at the end and I'm sorry I'm going a little longer today but I think you need to hear this you need to know the failures in my life and you need to know the grace that God has given me and Rick said not Rick but God said tell you did everything you could short of shooting her Scout's honor, how do, you, how do you do that? Scout's honor. And, and here's the thought that came to my mind. You could have killed her. They put you in prison. But you could have written a book while you were in prison. And they let you out early. And when you get out, churches are going to ask you to come and speak. Because you, you were redeemed out of prison. But it doesn't work that way when you have the corrodeness of divorce on you.
You don't think there's not a day that I wake up and don't feel the shame of that when I, when, when I, I, I realize how that impacted. But then again, I thank God for the grace, and I would have never had this lovely lady here. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't have had her if I hadn't treated God right and I hadn't treated somebody right. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? So again, I don't want you to feel guilty because you've been through a divorce. I just want to say today, I want to spare you some regret for some of you that are thinking about jumping out of your marriage right now into another relationship because you think it's easier. Life is not easy. Marriage is not easy. It's not easy. Anybody agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah. Would you bring that picture back up? Yeah. I was getting deep there, so I need, I need to come out of that. Can you imagine? Just look at that. Can you imagine somebody paying $75.1 million? And that was number 20 on the list. You should have seen the number one. It's like $166 million, and it was two card players playing cards. What's the value of a masterpiece? It's the value of what somebody will pay for it. I watch these Meekin auto shows where you run those old cars through there. Oh, man, I just salivate when I see those. How much is that car going to be worth? It's going to be worth what somebody's willing to pay. I want you to look around in this room today. There are masterpieces that God created. And do you know how much you're worth to Him? You're worth Him sending His only Son from heaven, taking off His royalty, coming to this world, living a sinless life, dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. And if he were the only person left on this planet, he would have done the same thing because you are so valued. He didn't want to have heaven without you, but he knew that you and I could never get close enough to God. We could never be sinless. So he came to this earth, hung there on that cross for my sins and your sins. And when he said, it is finished, there's nothing else could be done. He paid the highest price as Rob said today in his prayer time, he bankrupt heaven because of you. Would you point to your neighbor and say, he bankrupt heaven because of you? You are valued. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you're not valued. Don't ever let, because you've been through divorces, you've been through all these things, that you're not valued. You're so valued today that the scripture says, for God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son to die. And whosoever will believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you bow your heads with me? And would you just right there, those of you that are believers, would you just quietly thank God for how much that he paid for you? He didn't buy you on the bargain rack. He paid top dollar for you. So much that when we see him in heaven, he'll still have the scars. 
he'll still have the disfigured face. That's why they didn't recognize him in the garden because his face still carried the disfiguration from being bruised and beaten. He carries those to remind me of the price that he paid. And some of you are sitting here today and the enemy sold you a story that you're worthless. You're more, you're more than anything today. And I want to lead you in a prayer today. If you're here today and you say, Terry, I know right now that if I were to die, I'm not ready to, to be with the Lord. But I feel drawn to him today and I'd like to surrender my life to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me just real quick. Thank you. Hands up over here, here. Come on, over here, here, real quickly. We're not going to wait. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Those of you that are watching online. We're going to pray together. Nobody should ever have to pray this prayer by yourself. Would you pray this with me? Father God, I thank you today for loving me, for caring for me, for dying for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. In the name of Jesus. Church, would you celebrate with those three or four that raised their hands today? Come on, let's celebrate. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we'd love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps are in your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.